Hey there, and welcome to Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. I'm your host, Amanda, and I am so glad that you guys tuned in today. So here's what to expect from this podcast, and I'm going to try to not let the perfectionism slip in here because, hey, I'm ADHD. And that's just it. That's the thing to expect. I am ADHD. I'm an ADHD life coach with ADHD, diagnosed at 28 and now 30 years old, learning still to this day other ways to manage the challenges ADHD brings to my world and to help others better manage those challenges too. My whole world is ADHD. I have a neurodivergent family. I spent eight years working in special education. I am in a relationship with an ADHD partner who has ADHD children. So really, truly, I am ADHD. And I hope that through this podcast, you learn from those experiences and you get some helpful tips and tricks to maybe help you understand, accept, and coordinate the chaos that comes from your ADHD too. Hey guys, welcome back to Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. I'm your host, Amanda, and I'm so excited to welcome you to episode four. Now, I do want to take a second here to give myself some props because I'm an ADHDer, okay? (laughs) And I've made it to episode four of this. And I know that for a neurotypical person listening, you may not think that that's a big deal, but that's a big deal. Because there are a lot of steps involved in doing a podcast. And for me, I'm also a recovering perfectionist. So trying not to let the perfectionism in and affect how I do this process is a very big challenge for me. And it's one that several years ago would have stopped me from doing the thing at all. I would have been paralyzed by my fear of failure. So I'm actually pretty proud that that's not the scenario that's happening right now. Uh, Not to say that the perfectionism hasn't kicked in at all, because it has, but I'm definitely fighting against it and making this podcast happen. So I'm proud of that. Uh, In today's episode, though, I want to talk about why hyperactive feels like home for me. And you may be wondering what I mean by that. I feel like my best self when I'm my hyperactive self. I fell into um, more inattentive type of ADHD for a while, uh, was very paralyzed by the traumas in my life, and I just didn't feel like me for a really big period of time. And I always used to be a very hyperactive person. So hyperactivity feels like home and... In the past year, that hyperactive side has come back and I feel like I'm myself again. So that's kind of where I'm going with today's podcast. But first, I want to talk about what hyperactivity can look like in adults. So we talked a little bit in episode three about impulsivity, right? We talked about how impulsivity doesn't always look the same in children and adults. Well, hyperactivity is the same way. And impulsivity falls under that hyperactivity label. So if you are predominantly ADHD hyperactive type, you're going to have elements of both be very present in your day-to-day. Same thing if you have combined type, you're going to see both hyperactivity and impulsivity come into play in your life. 
where I find the impulsivity really comes into play for me is especially with my hyper focuses. And then the hyperactivity comes right in there too. So hyperactivity in adults can look a lot of times like racing thoughts and a restless feeling. So let's use hyperfocus for an example here for a minute. When I become hyperfocused and hyperfixated on a new thing, literally all my brain wants to do is think about that thing and then do that thing. For example, in December of 2020, ugh, that dumpster fire year, I just out of the blue became really excited. No, it was November. I became really excited right before Thanksgiving with die cutting leather. And I don't mean on my Cricut because I've done that. I've had that phase. But I had found this cute little machine that all you had to do was turn the crank and you get these little die cut patterns and put it on the fake leather sheets. And then you can make earrings or keychains or whatever. In this hyper fixated place, all my brain wanted to do was think about the 25 billion different things that I could do with the fake leather and with the die cuts. So I continue to have these racing thoughts about the different ways that I could be creative and the different things that I could do. And I felt very restless all the time because when I wasn't doing that, I wanted to be doing that. And that's the thing with hyperfocuses. It's almost like an addiction. It's almost like our brain needs that thing because that thing gives us some dopamine and that feels good and I want more of it and I want more of it until one day I wake up and my brain decides I don't anymore because that happens. Usually after we have impulsively bought all of the supplies for the thing and spent more money than we definitely should have, then our brain decides, okay, I'm done. Key thanks. I cannot tell you the number of times this has happened to me, especially with being a crafter. Uh, I have gone through so many different phases and the jewelry side especially. I, I started out working with clay as the first thing I did with my jewelry business. I was using polymer clay. Then I moved into beads. Then I started experimenting with wire, uh, mixing the beads and wire, using other metals. Um, I did do the leather and making earrings and jewelry with the Cricut for a bit there. Uh, I discovered resin. That was a fun phase. That was an expensive phase. Uh, and then these leather die cuts, you know, going back to that medium again. And over the years, those hyperfixations have taken up so much space in my life. And that's something I used to feel a lot of guilt and shame around. Like, how could I be so stupid? How could I spend all of this money doing this thing that I'm going to give up on in two weeks? And then, of course, you know, after the two weeks and then I did quit, I would sit there being mad at myself. Like, seriously, Amanda, you just spent all that money to, to not do it anymore? Like, what the hell is wrong with you? But really, what changed my mind with looking at those impulsive and hyperactive thoughts and actions was thinking of my different hyperfixations like concerts. What do I mean by that? Well, when you go see your favorite band perform, concert tickets are not cheap. And you're buying those concert tickets to go and watch them perform for maybe three hours if you're lucky, maybe, uh, and you're spending that money 
but you're spending that money because you are paying for the experience, something that you're going to enjoy. You're only going to live it for three hours, but those things are worth it in our brain. Having that moment is worth it. And that is how I choose to look at my hyperfocus now. When I have a new hyperfixation, I look at it like it's a concert that, you know, I would spend the $130 to go see Fallout Boy and Green Day. I would do that. So why am I being mad at myself for spending 75 bucks on tools for a craft that has given me pleasure for three months, two weeks? I have yet to have a hyper-focus that only lasts for three hours. You know, other than like the little rabbit holes that we go down, but that's not the discussion here. But that hyperactivity and the racing creativity feel really good to me. It, it's nice. I like when my brain is moving quickly. And that was the whole start of this, right? Talking about how hyperactivity for me feels like home. So in adults, yes, racing thoughts, uh, constantly feeling like you need to be go, go, go. That's another thing. Because see, since I was a kid, I was a very go, go, go person. When I was in elementary school, I was involved in so many different extracurriculars. I played saxophone. I did softball. I did basketball. I did dance a couple of different classes a week. I did theater camps and then was involved in like a local performing arts theater program too. And that was just in my childhood. Then you get into middle school, kind of in the same range of extracurriculars through in chorus. And then high school still had some outside of school extracurriculars. Um, oh, and I did have cheerleading in middle school too uh, and growing up as a kid. I know, real shocker. Yeah, I was I was a, a great cheerleader because I have such a big mouth. <laughs> I am so loud and I have no problem standing up in front of a crowd and screaming. Um, well, at least I didn't back then. The, the window dressing and trying to unlayer all of that would make it a little more challenging now. <laughs> But that's part of that whole journey to unlayer those things. But yeah, so I was always very go, go, go. And then when it came to high school, by my senior year of high school, I was president of all of student government, not just class president, but president of all the presidents. <laughs> um, I started an environmental club and was president of that. I was a member of prom committee and they wouldn't let me be president because I was president of the other two. They were like, you have too much going on. And the, uh, the teacher who was in charge had said like, I'm sorry, I can't allow you to be, you know, anything more than a committee member. Like you, you need to focus on school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did yearbook. I was involved in um, both of the theater programs at my school. Uh, I still did dance class outside of school, and then I was working on a solo. So go, go, go. Very comfortable. Then I got to college. Can you guess what happened in college? 
If you guessed that I continued to do the same shit and overload my schedule like crazy, you would be correct. <laughs> yep, I filled my schedule as much as possible, uh, not only with the extracurriculars at school, but then also with working a full-time job. And then I also had a part-time job working at the school as well. So I would be up and out the door by 8 a.m. and not coming back home until midnight a lot of days. But that felt so good to me. Allowing my hyperactivity to behave that way felt comfortable, felt safe, felt good, felt invigorating. But then after I graduated college, I wound up getting really sick. Uh, I was in and out of the ER a lot, didn't know what was going on, just randomly started having these stomach problems um, where I'd be in excruciating pain and not able to keep food down. And it was just not a fun time. Um, was in and out of the ER, was admitted into the hospital, lots of testing was done. Uh, and I, for a good chunk of time there, was pretty much glued to the couch because I was so sick. Yeah, uh, you know what's really great? When you record the whole rest of your podcast and then your computer loses it. So uh, thank goodness for the new computer because the last one, not, not so great. Uh, so here I am trying to finish up episode four for you guys. Uh, let's see, where do we leave off? Hmm, I think uh, we could all use a brain break. Let's, let's do that first. What I want you to do first is unclench your jaw. Oh yeah, I know. If you haven't already, go get some water. Let's, let's do that. And then now we're going to just take a couple of breaths together. Okay, guys, we're going to breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. In and out. All right. Let's get back to episode four. Thanks, guys, for doing that little brain break with me. I especially needed it after my nervous system just went woo, realizing that I lost the whole second half of this episode. So let's re-record and keep going from here. All right, so college, I got sick. I started losing myself. I was immobile. I couldn't be go, go, go. That was really difficult for me. And then... Uh, as that was all kind of happening and I was starting to recover a little bit, uh, was finally able to eat again because there was a section of time there where I was eating baby and toddler food because that was literally the only thing my body could tolerate. Um, but I did start to heal a little bit, uh, did start to get a tiny bit better for a little bit of time there. Um, but my relationship that I had in college and at the end of college when these things were going on, uh, came to an end. And shortly after that relationship ended, I happened to meet my next ex, <laughs> uh, who I would then be in a relationship with for seven years. Uh, we would even get married. I did not know at that time that the crazy amount of gifts and spoiling and extra attention, love, affection. That was all something called love bombing. Yeah. And my ADHD brain loved it. 
because, you know, beginning of a relationship, lots of dopamine. Then like, you know, ooh, all this attention and presents, surprises with who more dopamine. So I really quickly became bonded to that person. And then it was really easy to be abused by that person because I was completely bonded to them. And from that moment on, any horrible thing that they did, I just remembered how great they were in the beginning. It was great. It was great. It did not matter that I lost myself completely during that relationship. No, because in the beginning it was so good and so fake, but I didn't know that. I couldn't see that. And the interesting thing is there were red flags. There were moments where I started to see some clarity and yet I had made this commitment. I said vows and I took that seriously. But there were plenty of times where, even before the vows, I didn't tell my closest friends and family about how bad some of these fights and experiences that I had with him were, because I worried that if I told them, that they would hate him. Yeah, it was so bad that they were going to hate him and I stuck around. Yep, I did that. But I wasn't me. I didn't have that courage. I wasn't empowered. I was scared and I was just a, a fragment of myself. And I didn't have the strength at that time to leave because I couldn't see how broken I was but that broken place had very little hyperactivity very little the only things that would maybe come out were some impulsive shopping habits and my uh, my chattiness never really stopped <laughs> um, other than all those nights where I was just home alone, glued to the couch. Because I lived for many years in overwhelm. That was the state that I was in 90% of my relationship. After that first year was over, I had gotten sick again and um, really wasn't able physically to do a lot of the things that I was able to do before that. And then other things started to get bad. And I just mentally then shut down. And this is a really good moment to just kind of quickly talk about polyvagal theory. Um, because the ADHD nervous system, the science is kind of showing that that's the thing that's different. So Dr. William Dodson has done a few studies, and I hope the science continues here and they continue to research and look into this, um, finding that in the participants that they studied, the thing that was a characteristic for all of them was that their nervous system looked different. So, you know, people have done brain scans and some ADHDers show certain things on brain scans, but some don't. Uh, there's some traits that most ADHDers have, but not all do. So this research was kind of cool 
to see that, oh, this might be the thing. This might be the thing that we all share. Um, you know, the science isn't how to present there to say that, like, that's it. That's the thing just yet. Um, but it's pretty cool. And looking at that nervous system, that's where polyvagal theory kind of comes into play. So polyvagal theory is the idea that our nervous system, particularly our vagus nerve, which runs from our gut up to our head, uh, is the thing responsible for fight, flight, and freeze. Um, you know, that works with our brain and decides, okay, like this thing is dangerous, this thing that's happening. So you're going to go into one of these types of responses. Uh, the place you want to be in with your nervous system is called the window of tolerance. Everything feels good. You're, you're comfortable. You're, you know, able to think clearly and logically and do the things that you need to do. And then your nervous system can shoot into two other places with different stressors. So one of those places is hyperarousal. And in hyperarousal, it's a very stimulating place to be. That's the fight or flight. Um, so a lot of ADHDers do pretty okay when they're in hyperarousal, especially if that hyperarousal is triggered by other people's stressors and we're like going to dive in and help them solve their problem. When it's our problem, many times most of us fall into dorsal mode or hypoarousal. Now, this is a very condensed version of all of this. Please take it all with a grain of salt. Do your own research. See what feels right and accurate to your experience. Um, I'm simply sharing from the people in my life and my clients that this is kind of the experience that they've had. Um, that when it's our stressors, our overwhelm, um, we freeze. And that is that shutdown point. That point where you're glued to the couch and you're sitting there telling yourself, but I want to do the thing. I want to go get up and do that thing. And then we can't. We just can't. And I lived a very large chunk of my 20s stuck in overwhelm. Because not only was I overwhelmed by all of the physical things that I needed to do and was either too sick to do or too mentally drained to do, but I was also walking on eggshells every single day. I was experiencing different types of abuse that were preventing me from being able to get back into a tolerable place for my nervous system. I was always on some sort of high alert and always stuck in fight, flight, or freeze. It was very rare for my body to have even a couple of days where I was in that window of tolerance. And because I was stuck in that frozen place, I didn't feel like me. I was a person who did things, who went places, who saw people, who needed that needed that to function. That stuff gave me the dopamine. That stuff made me tick. And that stuff was gone. But then the relationship ended. And a few things happened. Once I discovered some of the really bad stuff that was hidden under my nose the whole time, that really helped me to click out of it and be like, oh, this is the biggest blessing in disguise and I can move forward. 
So I started seeing friends again. I started doing things again. I packed an entire house in like two weeks. It took me almost no time at all because I was just, all right, let's do this. Let's go. I got this. And then another thing happened. Um, I actually met my current partner. Was not expecting to get myself into a relationship again anytime soon. Um, you know, was really just looking to meet new people, have some new experiences, get out, live my life the way that I had not been able to for all those years. Uh, little did I know that I was going to fall in love so quickly. Um, and not through love bombing, but through meeting a person who felt so much like me in all the right ways. And that helped more than anything with allowing myself to be authentically me again. To be silly and goofy and playful and social and all of these really wonderful things that I had lost. And, you know, the new relationship dopamine helped too. <laughs> but him that person, he helped bring me back. And he shows me a love and support that I have not known before. Um, I had to get a new computer because my laptop was giving me the black screen of death. And we go to the store and we're looking for computers. And this really has absolutely nothing to do with hyperactivity, but it's just a happy little story that I want to share. We're looking at these new computers and we're talking about what I need from the computer with the with the tech guy there. And I mentioned, you know, I also need to be able to run software to do my podcast. And the guy was like, oh, that's cool. Like, what's your podcast? And, you know, I just kind of said the title and was expecting to move on. But my boyfriend pulls out his phone and is like, look, she's on Spotify. Like, he was proud. And it was amazing. And I don't think he knows just how special that moment was for me to see him be the one talking about this thing that I really am excited about. I'm really excited to be doing this, guys. I'm really happy that I can talk to you this way. And I hope that that's meaningful to you guys because it's very meaningful to me. Um, and I hope you see the value that I'm hoping to, to show you all. But, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing how having those things in my life has really made the circumstances of my life just so much better. And I really do feel like my authentic self finally. And that hyperactivity, man, I, uh, I definitely have been very go, 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 especially since starting my coaching business. When I started, uh, I was doing coaching part-time and still working as an associate teacher um, at my school. And so I was as go, go, go as you could be. <laughs> um, I would get up, go to work, get home, have 45 minutes, and then start coaching for the remainder of the night. Um, every night but Thursday. And then Saturdays, I was working in the mornings too, just to accommodate people who needed like morning times. 
um, you know, now I'm doing the coaching full time and I love it. Uh, and if you guys are interested in coaching, I have small groups, large group, uh, we'll be getting in the fall and, um, I do have one-on-one -on -one positions open right now. Um, not positions, but like availability that's open. Um, so check out my website, the ADHDlady.org. Um, you know, I, I definitely am my, my chatty self now. <laughs> uh, so I think that's part of the reason why this podcast is so great. Cause I let that side of me out here. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that hyperactive version of Amanda just feels like the most authentic version of me. And it's good to feel like I'm home now. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me today. I'm so glad we could do that. <laughs> um, next time on the podcast, we will keep talking about these different ADHD traits and symptoms. Um, really looking forward to that and looking forward to seeing you guys back for episode five. Thanks for tuning in guys to Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. I'm your host, Amanda. 